Y'all, we live in difficult times. There's war, political unrest, the pandemic, poverty, families being torn, communities ripped by gun violence and people dying every day. Police, injustice, it's all bringing so much pain. But y'all, we can look inside our minds and we can understand who we are, become better, and do this thing like we've never done it before. But it all starts with our mental health and I know we can do it. I believe in you because I believe in me and I believe in us. Hello and thank you for joining us again. Me and Aisha are going to continue our discussion on trauma. In this session, we're going to discuss how trauma or complex trauma impacts children, it impacts adults, and it affects our relationships. So, Naisha. Yes. You ready? I'm ready. Elaborate on how you think complex trauma impacts our children. Okay. So, when we think about complex trauma, we want to look at the foundation of childhood. It can be a situation where a child has been neglected. So we're looking mm -hmm. at physical neglect, emotional neglect. Physical neglect is when their primary caregiver isn't physically there, whether they're pet, they passed away, whether they're in jail, or they're just not in that particular household. Emotional neglect is where the caregiver is physically there, but they're not emotionally present. So mm -hmm. we get into the neglect. Then we get into sexual, emotional, physical abuse in childhood. Those things create that foundation for the child to begin to reframe their world. Just like you talked about the frame, right? So they, re they frame their world in a world feeling like I'm not safe here. So they mm -hmm. become very hypervigilant, which can turn into some level of aggression, some isolation, inability to learn in certain environment so that may look like adhd but it's really trauma so we're looking at you know the fact that the child is feeling threatened they're always in that like survival mode mm -hmm. they have to constantly take care of themselves they develop the mistrust because mm -hmm. they haven't really formed those secure attachments you know what when you say that it makes me think back again to my very foundations when i walked into a residential facility and I started working with kids and, you know, coming from the background that I came from, you know, we had these very strong moral convictions about people and having been trained as a social worker, I realized that the Rogerian theory about people being good was important, but I really didn't truly understand until I got engaged in working with kids in a, a place where they could actually tell their stories. Because when we hear about kids being juvenile delinquents and having trouble and behavioral problems, you know, we hear that. But when we really hear them tell their stories about their homes, about the relationships they had with their mother, about the relationship they had with their father or not having a relationship with their father yeah. or not having their relationship with their mother. You realize that they get so used to things being chaotic, confusing, hurtful, and discord and disorganization 
and trying to survive becomes a way of life. And I will say many times, if I had to go through what they had to go through, I probably would be a very different person too. Absolutely. Because at the foundation of who they are, they can't trust their caretakers, their environment to make sure they're stable. And I got to say this, I believe in many cases, children's first idea of what it is to understand a higher power is rooted in their caretaker. So if people don't take care of them, people don't look out for them, then how can they believe in something that's abstract and far away when right here in their physical world, there's nobody there to ensure they get what they need physically, emotionally, and intellectually. And so we see the OD. Yes. We see the oppositional defiant mm-hmm. disorder. We see the attention deficit disorder. Yes. We see the conduct, conduct. disorder. Yes. We see the reactive attachment disorder. And let me explain that. That is a diagnosis in which a child has experienced some significant trauma before the age of three. And as a result of this, they create this insecure attachment where, look, hey, you know what? I can be around somebody. They can be supportive of me to some point. But if I get too close to them, I'm going to be doing something to sabotage the whole situation. Because if I get too close, I know they're going to let me go. I know they're going to let me down at some point in time. So I'm going to mess this thing up. Listen, I believe a lot of the girls I used to work with, especially the teenage girls, they would have this issue. All the things that happened to them when they were younger. And as a result, Listen, I've been surviving. I've been doing this thing. And now somebody else is trying to tell me what to do and how to do. Look, nobody's going to take care of me better than I'm going to take care of me. And so this might seem chaotic. This might seem like it doesn't make sense. But look, I'll figure it out because you, all you're going to do is disappoint me. All you're going to do is hurt me. And so, so these young people have been so impacted by trauma that they can't really trust anyone. So trust now we people, see people don't trust the world. Yeah, they don't trust people don't trust the world. So so now they're stuck in this place and their alarm is constantly going off. And now you're too close. You're getting too close. Yeah. You're making me start to feel vulnerable. When I feel vulnerable, I need to shut down. I need to protect myself. Exactly. And so we have to figure out, you know, as therapists, we are trying to be there, support them, guide them help establish some some boundaries so they can move forward in their life. But at the same time, recognizing that their, their coping strategies that seem adverse and not appropriate yeah. is... They think they're coping, but it's really a defense mechanism. Right, and they're so trying to survive and trying to move through life. And so that's why it becomes so complicated with working with young people. Very complicated. Yeah, yeah. So how do you like to approach that with kids? Definitely building trust. Just starting off being able to hold space for them to express themselves. We know that when someone who has experienced trauma, right, they're not able to always verbalize how they feel. So I use a lot of creative expression. So we're going to be writing, we're going to be painting, we're going to be drawing, we're going to be playing card games. We can build that trust with each other and have a level of reciprocation. We're going to be playing together so we can establish a good relationship until they're able to really dive into how they feel. Doing some body work, doing some breathing, 
and letting them know like, okay, in this space during this hour, you're safe in these four walls. This is a level of safety. That's where we want to start. Yeah. You know, and that, that's really good. Trying to develop some level of trust. You know, I like to tell people to embrace the opposition. Sometimes we fight against the opposition, but see the opposition as a good thing. Embrace it. Talk about it. Let's see how it works for good. Let's identify it. Because sometimes if we embrace the opposition, it gives them a environment to actually express themselves. And now you can help gently cultivate the dialogue, the communication, the words that they use and help them realize they, they may need to change versus them feeling like you're trying to just change them. Yeah. You know, with that aggression, iron sharpens iron. You can't always do that. Mm-hmm. You have to embrace it and see what's the strength in it. Another thing I'll say, I think when kids have been traumatized, I think it's important for us to understand that when we try to show love, that we have to really step back and try to understand their language. Yes. Their language. Because oftentimes we want to give them our language, and then they don't receive it as such, and then they respond in a negative way. Well, I did this, and I did that, and I did, what do you mean? But no, but you didn't take time to understand their language. That's right. We were so busy paying attention to how bad they were that we didn't pay attention that, you know, what do you really like? What says love to you? And we have to also remember if they've been traumatized that they may push back sometimes too. Yes. And we have to Very be patient. Guarded. Very guarded. And that's why we have to be patient. Because if we're not, we're going to make things worse. We're going to feel like, oh, no, I'm not doing anything. We're not getting anywhere. Mm-hmm. But no. Nah, you know, it's all about the way we frame it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, sometimes, you know, as you were talking about residential treatment, mm-hmm. time a child goes into residential treatment, they've already had a level of services and outpatient already experienced a number of workers who have already attempted Mm. and things just might not have worked out to get them to the level of a secure services and outpatient right Mm. setting so in that secure setting we're still looking at the trust but also letting them know like okay i understand you i understand how you feel giving them a level of empathy because at this point we don't need to talk about if you don't straighten it out you're gonna end up a b and c because look you already here hey exactly <laughs> i've already lost everything you what, have. what else do i gotta lose you know what right. else i'm here you know this is not good for me life has brought me to this place because my mama couldn't take care of me my daddy couldn't take care of me i didn't have other family members who could take care of me so i'm here you know i got in trouble but even if i got in trouble in most cases it's because something was missing yes you know i sometimes i wish i could tell some of the stories that i can't tell but (laughs) it's so powerful to imagine some of the things kids will do when they're out here just trying to survive and when their parents have like drug addiction addictions what they will do just to try to survive or help their parent be okay and safe when they're having drug issues you know I, i remember when i was a county worker working with a kid, working with a family and helping out the mom and realizing she had a son who's eight or nine years old and he could not read, but he had been home so much taking care of his siblings. A role reversal. Cause mom was, you know, was struggling so much with her addiction. And I remember at the time being a young, you know, you know, fired up, you know, you know, case manager, yeah. whatever. Like, Oh, I was angry at the mom. Uh, here was this black young man, he, nine years old, he could not read. Mm-hmm. I wanted it so bad because I just felt so connected with it. 
And, and at that point, it's hard for me to go. I have to take that home, absolutely. Uh, but you hear these things, you see these things, you understand that, you know, this is the result of these bad things happening. And as I said earlier, coming from a place of strong, we looked at people and said, well, if you did right, it's because you had the right moral fabric. Understanding that people are fundamentally good, but unfortunately, when they don't have the right foundation, that they will act in a manner that seems immoral, inappropriate, but they're just responding to the environment. Absolutely. They're that n- nine-year-old, even though he could mm-hmm. not read, he probably had some skills that other nine-year-olds didn't have. Exactly. He learned how to survive. He was probably cooking. He was cleaning. He was caring for his siblings. Whereas another exactly. nine-year-old who didn't have that same experience, mm-hmm. oh, you can't cook and you can't clean? Yeah, but I can read. Right? It's all about what you need to do in your environment to survive. Exactly. And, you know, kids, you know, and talking about some of the symptoms, they may have the dreams and tell you about things that, you know, happen in regards to their trauma. They may play it out in some way or another. You know, we use art therapy a lot with kids Mm -hmm. and they may play out their trauma, but they may not be able to tell you anything about what happened in their trauma. And that may take some time when we understand that when kids experience Emotional abuse. Yes. And, oh, I'm about to go into this list. But let me say this about emotional abuse. Because <laughs> I don't okay, think I emphasize ahead. this enough. Because emotional abuse is one of the most powerful forms of abuse there is. Yes, it is. And it's probably done in tandem with physical abuse and sexual abuse. Like the physical wounds. Some heal. Some, some heal. heal. I'm not going to say all because some physical wounds do not heal. However, the emotional wound will continue to resurface and replay in every aspect of your life because trauma is ingrained in our bodies and in our brains. Right. And our brains are constantly going to remind you, hey, of this traumatic event. Yeah. So, look, when I hear parents talk about their child mm-hmm. and they call them little MFs and you ain't going to be. In all those words. They're going to remember that forever. That. I wish I could say, but I'm not because I want to do better. But geez, when I hear parents say that to their two and three and four year old child, and I'm like, why are you saying that? You are, what's going on with you? You like, you don't understand. And you tell them they ain't going to be stuff. They're going to end up in prison. All these things, all these things, they're damaging. Listen, I work with many adults who tell me to this day, I remember my uh, things my mom used to say about me. And it's like a chain around my neck. Yeah. Every time I try to do good, it feels like what my mom would say about me would always come to me. And I would feel it and I would get afraid or I would have anxiety about what I was doing right now. Here I am, a 32, 33, 34, 40-year-old. I'm still framed by what my mama said a long time ago about what my daddy said a long time ago. The words we use with our kids do matter. The words we say to each other do matter. And emotional abuse, I want to emphasize, is the most unchecked form of abuse. But it, we need to be aware of the words we use because the power of life and death is in the tongue. We talk about the, the physical abuse and we talk about the sexual abuse, which happens 
at an alarming rate. And in many families, we still not we're keeping it secret. We're not talking about it. And in some families, it's so it's we do talk about it in a sense, but we it's a family secret. But it's like normal, it's functionalized, and you know we hear these stories push all the time. Yeah. We push it under the rug. We we normalize the stuff, but we know that kids who've been sexually abused struggle in in many different ways. And of course, the domestic violence and seeing being in a, an environment where there's a whole lot of chaos and confusion. Yes. We know that children, according to the child adverse child study, we know that when children face sexual abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, when they are in environments where there's domestic violence or a lot of, lot of crazy stuff going on, they are more likely to develop behavioral problems. They're more likely to have mental health issues. They're more likely to have early on health issues, mm-hmm. diabetes, heart disease, all kinds of conditions, yes. have deficient immune systems, and more likely to become suicidal and criminals. So we got to do better. We got to be aware of how we take care of our children. Yes, because their brains are still being formed. So whatever is ingrained them in their childhood, things like that stick with them. That becomes a part of their personality. It becomes a part of how they function and how they go into adulthood. So yes, our foundation is in treating children and adolescents. However, as we are progressing in our careers, we're starting to take on a lot more adults. In adulthood, Clients come into our office, they're sitting on our couches, and they're talking about, well, this is what happened to me, and this is what my daddy said, and this is what my mom did or did not do. It still affects them to this day. So here we are trying to affirm that they are not those things and speaking to that inner child, Mm. going back, doing a lot of the inner child work, feeling that little child inside of them, going back and sitting with your six-year-old self. And I love this activity that I do with my clients who have experienced trauma. We get into like a really calm, state we're doing Mm -hmm. our mindfulness we're breathing and once they're calm i do it two ways the first way is i want you to go back like if whatever age that trauma Mm -hmm. can remember or that experience they don't really know the details but they always know how i made them feel tell me about the first time that you felt afraid Mm -hmm. right and you're sitting on this couch and you see yourself as an afraid six-year-old little girl i -hmm. want you to go to her and i want you to talk to her what are you going to tell her Right. So once they are breathing and they're talking through everything that they need to say to this little girl, they tell me, you know, well, this is how I feel. I feel a lot better. This is what I needed to hear instead of what I did hear when I was growing up. Mm. So we wait a minute. A couple of weeks later, they come back to therapy and we do it again. And when they're calm, I say, OK, imagine you're sitting on the couch as your adult self in this moment. And the six year old little girl comes to you. What do you say to her? And my clients just fall and they release because there's a difference between you being an adult and you're able to think more realistically and you can tell her these things and this great advice and you can lead her. But when a little child comes to you, you are vulnerable. You're in that space and you're like, this child is looking up to me and I really need to help her. So I've loved doing this activity with my clients because They want to heal these inner child wounds. They want to go back and deal with all this trauma in adulthood that's affecting their relationships, their parenting. So I feel, I find that really helpful. Listen, I hope you got something out of this because this was a great discussion. We realized that complex trauma 
oftentimes starts in childhood. In most cases, it starts in childhood and it affects our whole life. So what we need to do is do the work, identify who we are, where we at, go back to those memories, those pains, those sufferings. I know it's hard. Like when we talked about in grief, we have to go back to those places and begin to redefine and capture the essence of what we want to have versus what we actually experience and then move towards that type of experience. So we have to reframe our game, our life and our destiny. Change it. Listen, <laughs> if you like what we've dis discussed, please go down to the discussion box and make your comments. Please like us and subscribe. We're going to continue this discussion on adults in our next episode. All right. Thank you. See you later.